Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off today's sermon with something. If, you're, if you've been in church for a while, you may know where I'm going with this. So it may take us a little bit to get to where I want. Um, and if you don't, I'll explain it. So I'm going to say three words, and then you're going to say some words, and I'm going to say some other three words, and then you're going to say some words. So my first th- three words is God is good. And all the time. All right. Um, the truth of that statement is that he is. And your view of God's goodness will shape what you do when it doesn't seem like he's being good. Because he is good all the time. And this shapes why we even strive to live this idea that we're preaching on for the last couple of weeks of um, living like Jesus is greater. And I say this over and over again. This life is the resolution, um, is the fix for most anxiety and stress that you're experiencing. Period. It doesn't eliminate you from those things that are causing that, but it changes your perspective, which is what we're after. And it is the direct path to the fulfillment of the purpose that God has uniquely called you to. So if you are wondering, like, what has God made me for? What, what, what am I destined to do for him if you're a child of God? It's fulfilled in this. The more you pursue this reality of living Jesus is greater, the more you'll be propelled down the path. Which, let me just say this for those that have been reading in Matthew. The path that leads to righteousness is narrow. And few enter in. But broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many are on it. The path for us uh, is narrow, um, but it's not alone. The question remaining is, what are you willing, and this is something we're talking about over and over again, what are you willing to change or surrender to live in this place? Over the last few weeks, we've talked about some of these ideas of studying God's word, surrendering to it, and using it to build, using our lives to build the kingdom. It looks a lot like the arrows that Reach uses on our shirts, which we're going to repurpose those. Um, so this is going to sound a little different. But um, we have from the beginning been this kind of thing that reach up, reach in, reach out. Now look back this last week because we're, we're, we're trying to redo our, our, our mission and our vision statement to clarify the reason why we're here. And I look back to my journal from 2010 when I started praying and writing about planting uh, Reach Community Church. And when I felt like Reach became our name, there was this phrase that I wrote up, reach in, reach in, reach, in, reach up, reach in, reach out. And then after each of those, I, I put uh, reach up, touch grace, reach in, experience grace, and reach out, give grace. Which is what we're called to live every single day. If we're not touching the grace of God and experiencing that grace personally, we cannot give anything that is of value. And it is a cycle that you're probably going to get sick of because it's something that I'm going to regurgitate. We're we're going to be cows. 
Cows have multiple stomachs, and we're going we're gonna to keep chewing on this until we digest it, until it gets in us, until it takes over us, because this is the cycle that we're called to live every single day. And I want to continue this conversation of living Jesus greater. But today I want to talk about living through the parts of our life when it doesn't seem like he's greater. I'm calling it the gray middle. Because it's kind of like, you know, is it black? Is it white? Is it this? Is it that? It's kind of gray. And so my one thing I want you to hear today is that living Jesus is greater means trusting that this is true even when it doesn't seem like it is. And before we get into my favorite Old Testament story, which I'm going to give you pieces of like 10 chapters. So bear with me today. Let's pray. Jesus, your wisdom and discernment and the life that we can have following, surrendering, and giving ourselves to you is worth it. And Lord, you are good. And Lord, I pray that today you would help us connect with the story of Joseph. That you would help us see that there are could be long periods of time where it seems like you're absent. It seems like you're not present. And it seems like if you were there, you would be doing something different. But you had a purpose, an intention. And so, Lord, I pray that we would wait on you. That in the middle of when it seems so bleak and so dark and so painful. That you would give us just enough faith to trust you. Just enough faith to say that you are good. And that goodness, you're always working in us. So Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a soft heart to receive what you have today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Uh, For real, my uh, my favorite Old Testament story. I don't know why I'm constantly drawn back to it. I I don't know why every time when I get to, uh, I think it's chapter 47, 45. I'm brought to tears. And I'm not an emotional guy. I'm a, like a hallmark. <laughs> you know, you'll see. No mercy out on that battlefield. Um, but this story wrecks me every single time. I, I, I got so excited that I had to skip ahead in my reading plan. Because two chapters of Joseph was not enough a day. And I, one day I just decided, forget this. I'm just reading it all. And I did that, and I got to the end of this this moment that we're going to get to in a little bit, and it wrecks me every single time. Because he shouldn't have done what he did. And if we're going to be honest, none of us would have done what he did. We'd have been angry, we'd have been bitter, and we'd let that anger and that bitterness ruin what God was going to do. And Joseph didn't. And so what I want to do over the next 20 minutes is to jump through his story. I'm just going to piecemeal and I'm going to try to fill in the blanks because I want to get to this idea of where we're at. So we're going to start in Genesis 37, verse 3. Um, And if you're familiar with the story, if you're reading the one in your Bible, you've already read um, that 
Joseph was the beloved son of Israel. Beloved son because he was the firstborn of his beloved wife. And whole, like, trickery story. I mean, we don't want to talk about how he did not know that it wasn't Rachel. Like, that's not today's sermon. I'm sorry, but, like, I don't know, buddy. Like, was was it that dark? Was she fully... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, but Joseph was the, the, the first son of his beloved wife. Loved her more than the others. And it's just a heart-wrenching story, really. And he loved him so much that he was for sure his favorite, not kind of. Like we all, you know, if you have children, there's one that you like more than the others. For real. Like, don't lie. Let's just be honest. If you're sitting beside them, just tell the one you're closest to that they're the one. And you'll deal with it later. But everybody has a favorite. And he had a favorite so much so that he gave him a coat that identified him as the favorite. Every saw they, time they saw the coat, they're like, kill this kid. We're going to kill this kid. And God spoke to Joseph, gave him dreams, a, a real dream, not like a fake, like oh, this is what I want to be when I grow up. But like God spoke to his heart and identity and where he was going to be. But he wasn't wise enough at 17 to not tell his brothers this dream. And so verse uh, three in chapter 37, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was a son uh, in his old age and he made him a coat of many colors in verse five. Now, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Remember the coat? Now he's told a dream, but he didn't just have one dream. He has two dreams. And his first dream is that, you know, and this is odd, like oh, I had a dream and we were all wheat. But my wheat stood up and yours bowed down. You don't have to be smart to understand what that means. And his brothers weren't dumb. They were angry. We're going to bow down to you, the, the, the baby? I don't think so. And then he has another dream that not only the brothers, but also the mother and the father were going to bow down, the moon and the stars. Like, oh, like that. Like, if you weren't dumb enough, he like, it's almost like God needed him to seal his fate. And he sends him out to the field to check on his brothers. And they see him come. And like, dee, dee, dee. he's in his little coat. Like, look, he probably even walked like a jerk. <laughs> he probably was like, yeah, you know, you've had kids that know like mom and dad are going to protect them from everyone else. And they know that. And as long as mom and dad are around, they're like. Yeah, what you going to do? What you going to do? I mean, they'll, t- they'll poke the bear because they know. And I'm sure he's like, Dad loves me the most. <laughs> and they see him, and they, their first intentions were to kill him. Like, they weren't playing around. This wasn't like, let's give him a wedgie. And for those that really know, it wasn't even an atomic wedgie. If you know what that is, you know. If you don't, don't Google it because um, it's bad. And they were going to kill him, but one of his brothers were going to try to protect him. So they're like, hey, let's don't kill him. Let's, let's put him in this pit. And he was going to come and rescue him later, take him back to his dad and save him because he wasn't going to let this happen. But while he wasn't there, they saw some slave traders come by and they sell him. They're like, let's not let our hands be dirty and let's make a little money. Sell him. We'll see how this dream comes to be. 
And he gets sold as a slave. And the slaveholders go to Egypt. And he ends up in Potiphar's house. Can you imagine? 17 years old. Your brothers hate you enough to almost murder you, sell you into slavery, to never see you again. And you're now sold as a slave. Not, you know, you're not working for someone. You're a slave. And I don't know what he felt in this moment. And it doesn't really give us... The only thing that we see in Joseph is that he was faithful. We don't see the inner turmoil. We don't see him like, I'm sold into slavery. We don't see him in the little cart heading to Egypt going, my dreams are done. Nothing, you know, what God put in my heart is not going to come to be. We don't see any of that. But we do see Joseph being faithful. We're picking it up in um, Genesis 39. Verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Jacob's sake. Joseph's sake. Thank you. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had to Joseph, in Joseph's charge And because of him, he had no concern about anything other than he ate. This man was probably super fat. And maybe this is what led his wife astray. I don't know. I don't think so. I just, that's that's he, strike that from the record. Sorry. Um, But he didn't worry about anything. Joseph literally ruled everything in the house, made it all happen. And he was faithfully serving as a slave. We don't know how long he sent in, spent in the Potiphar's house at all. We don't, we don't know how long he was there. But we do know in verse 6 that Joseph was very handsome. It literally says that. Now, Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. He, was, he didn't just have a pretty face. <laughs> See? Got him. Uh, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife caught her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. And it wasn't just this one time. He literally wouldn't go anywhere near this woman because she would not stop this. She wouldn't stop. And one day she had, I don't know if she conspired to this be so, but there was no one in the house. And she thought, you know, if no one's around, maybe he'd be more willing. And the house was empty and she grabs Joseph passionately. And says, come lie with me. And that joker, hey, look, if you want to learn something from this sermon, when sin grabs you, run. Don't punch it. Don't leg sweep it. Run. Even if you have to run away with no clothes on. That woman grabbed a hold of his clothes and he was like. I mean, he just ran. He was out of there. He ain't playing around. He isn't worried about like, oh, how am I going to. He didn't care. He was like. This is where we get the word streaking. (laughs) That was also Heath. No Bible commentary ever said that. 
And, and in the conversation before he ran, and, and, and the, the end of 9, he says this wonderful thing, which I'm glad this was recorded. Because you may think he's afraid of Potiphar, he's afraid of getting hurt or, or caught or whatever, but he makes a statement, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And Joseph, this is before the Ten Commandments. This is before, I mean, the knowledge of who God was was very limited compared to ours. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no, there was no story of God's power like they're going to see at the end of where this story is leading. I mean, hundreds of years later. But Joseph was so determined that he was not going to, and he was in a foreign city. You know, we wonder why our college-age Christians who grew up in good homes and good families go off to college and they run wild. They don't have any of that thing over them. They don't have that protection. They don't have those people going, hey, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. They're on their own. And here Joseph was on his own. There was no one of his people that's going, hey, you remember God? There's no parent there going, hey, buddy. You, you know, you need to tighten it up. You need to do this. He was on his own and he was still determined. Verse 39. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. And there he was in prison. Let me, let's just, let's just say this. And I've said this every time I've talked about Joseph here on a Sunday morning. He's opinion. If, if you were a ruler in Egypt... They have no human rights. There's no, like, activists to make sure that people weren't treated poorly. If you thought some slave in your house tried to rape or molest your wife, what would you do? Would you throw them in jail? No, you would kill them. Kill them. Like right there, when you got home, just cut off their head, do whatever you want, put his head on a spike and be like, this is what happens if people mess with my wife. The The... The, uh, the reality is, is Potiphar probably knew this was a lie, but she'd made a big deal of this and screamed this around everyone else. She couldn't, he couldn't just let him go, but he put him in jail. In prison. Verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And sometime after this, while he's faithfully running the prison, verse 40, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And they got thrown into jail. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. So there's time that are going on. This isn't moments. This is years. Remember, he was 17 when this started. We'll get his age in just a second. And then God speaks to them because the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. And their dream so upsets them um, that Joseph says, hey, what's going on? And he tells them the interpretation of the dreams. In verse 8 it says, and they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell, tell them to me. So they have this dream. The cupbearer tells his dream. And Joseph says, in three days, because that's what the three things are, in three days, you're going to be restored to Pharaoh. 
And the, the baker, he had a similar dream that had three things. And he's like, oh, this is good. This is going to be good. And it was had birds. And birds were coming in, pecking the, the, um, the bread out of the basket that was on his head. And the baker, I'm sure, sure feeling very confident, comes to Joseph, what about my dream? He's like, you're going to be dead in three days. He's going to lift you up by your head and end your life. In verse 23 of chapter 40, Joseph said, just remember me. Don't forget me. In verse 23, and it says, yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let, let's just, let me, let me just mess with your brain a little bit. Who made the cupbearer forget about Joseph? God. Because God had a purpose. And if cupbearer would have got out and spoke favorably to Pharaoh and Pharaoh let Joseph go, Joseph wouldn't be there. These two years later. Just think about that for a minute. Chapter um, 41, verse 1, it says, And two whole years later, so two, two more years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And he has this dream about these um, cows that come out of the river. And the fur, there's seven of them that are just like beautiful, plump, you know, is it about the juicy? I mean, they probably were juicy. Um, but they were just big, beautiful cows, what they should look like. And then after that, these seven skinny, decrepit cows come up and they eat the other cows. And then he has another thing, same thing um, with the ears of the wheat. That There's seven great, what, you know, they, they look perfect, like you would see in the pictures. And then after that, seven blighted, wind-scorched One's common. And Pharaoh's disturbed. He, 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 no one in his entourage, all the people that he pays to interpret dreams, they, they don't know what it is. And one day Pharaoh's probably sweating about it, like, what am I going to do? And the cupbearer, and he does, he does kind of humble himself. He's like, you know, please forgive me. There is one. He's in prison. You should call him. And Joseph comes out. And he listens to Pharaoh's dream, humbled. And he said, you know, it's not from me, it's from the Lord. And he tells Pharaoh what the dream means, that there's going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be seven, seven years of the worst famine that anybody's ever going to see. This, it's going to destroy this area. And Joseph, at the end of this, not in confidence, not in anything else, he just says, hey, look, you should find somebody. You should find a good person to lead this, because it's going to need it. And he was... Probably mentally going, I'm going back to jail. In Pharaoh, in uh, <clears throat> chapter 41, verse 38, it says, Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit, who is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all the people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph is now 30 years old. 13 years. 13 years. Not a summer, not a season. 13 years. And so Joseph faithfully does what he 
was put there to do is he he collects grain in such abundance that they cannot count. They cannot even they have storehouses everywhere. They have no they have no idea how to even quantify how much they have. And after the seven years of good, there's the famine starts and people from all over start coming in. And at some point, his brothers make a journey because they're starving to get food. Verse uh, chapter 42, verse six, it says, now Joseph was governor over the land and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him and their faces to the ground. Remember that dream? 20 years, at least 20 years, because he was he was 30, seven years, so 13 years to 30, another seven years minimum, maybe eight years because the famine, you know, maybe they had enough stores to get them there. They're on the ground. And Joseph, I mean, I don't fault him for this. I mean, I don't know if God faults him for this, but he messes with his brothers. I mean, you should read it. It is one of the homework assignments I'm giving you this week is you should read this whole story in its totality because I'm leaving out so much. And he messes with them. Bad. And long story short, he's afraid that they've killed his little brother, Benjamin, the only one that he and um, Joseph share the same mom. And he tells them that if you come back here without this younger brother, you won't have anything and, and, and I'll know that you're lying and basically you'll forfeit your lives. And when they went back, the father's like, no, you're not taking. I have nothing left to live for. How would you like to be one of the other ten sons? If this one dies, I'm dead. I'm going to Sheol. I'm like, my gray hairs are going down to Sheol. And they go and um, they run out of food again and so they go back. One of their brothers was just rotting in jail during this time. And they go back and he had planned all these things and he hides the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And he was, his people chase after him and says, whoever we find this in, they forfeited their life. And the older brother that told his father that it, it will be on me to bring him back. Most likely the head conspirator of the original cell of Joseph. Falls in his face before Joseph saying, hey, take my life. Instead of his. And Joseph gets wrecked. Verse 45, 2 through 5. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Man, I don't know how close his house was to Pharaoh's house, but that's some wailing right there. Verse 3, it says, And Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Yes. Yes. You ever bullied somebody and they get bigger years later and you're terrified when you see them again? We see this uh, with uh, Jacob and Esau when Esau, he's coming. Hey, brother. Verse 4, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. So they came near, and they said, And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery, or you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. 
when you can see the purposes of what you've journeyed through with such clarity that you can let go of bitterness, let go of anger, let go of the years he probably set in torment in there going, it's all ruined, it's all gone. And where I want us to land today is you cannot live Jesus as greater without learning how to navigate the middle. And let me just tell you this. I, I, I'm reading this book. It's just funny how I'm reading these other books that are there's so much. I feel like God's just... I read a book on the sovereignty of God, and I love Romans 8.28. Y'all know that. I say it a lot. And he had this whole section. He's like... Romans 8, 28 is, uh, all things happen for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. And he said, so many people misinterpret that, and they, they misquote it, and they missay it. And he was like, uh, he, this guy, he says, uh, Romans 28 is the happy endings verse. And it's not. Because we, we, we could, and I could tell you this story, if you wait to the end, it'll be good. But the, the truth is, your end may not be this good. Now, here's, here's the reality. God is still good. If you're his child, he's working it out for your good and his glory. But it may not end like you want it to be. Like we read stories like this and it's like, one day I'll be ruler and everyone. See, we wrongly look at this story thinking, well, when we get there, I'll finally get respect. When we get there, I'll finally be looked at the correct way. When the reality is, is God had humbled Joseph so much that when he got there, all he could say is what you meant for evil, God meant for good. If God is good, he is good all the time. If God is good, he is good all the time, regardless. And our only way to navigate, navigate that is trust that that's true. I heard this years ago. Uh, I think Rick Warren said it. He said, never doubt in the darkness what you heard clearly in the light. And someone here needs to hear. Because someone here is in the middle of something that feels like it's destroying them. It feels like a prison. It feels like I have been, I have been put into a spot that I cannot overcome. And let me just tell you, if you're willing... To trust God with the outcome. Because really, the middle just clarifies that we have no control. For all of us that feel like, feel like, if I could just get control, control won't fix it. Because you cannot have complete control over all the circumstances in your life. Surrender is the only thing that fixes what's going on. Surrendering to what God has in store for you. So we have to get to this place that we trust God with the middle. And we let him write the ending and be okay with the ending that he writes for you. I mean, there, there, there are martyrs that have died in horrible deaths. There was one I was listening to the other day. I listened to this Puritan guy and he was talking about these, these two people that were bur- burned at the stake for heretics. They weren't heretics, but they were burnt at the stake for heretics and one leans over to him and i'm going to misquote this and he said be the man 
And let us light a candle that will burn in England that the world will see. Could you imagine as they're lighting the fire around, being encouraged by your buddy, let's burn. Be the man. And so the truth is that might be the end of your story. But your perspective of how that end looks changes how you are on that stake. How you are in that moment when it seems like all is lost. So here, here's a couple of questions. I'm going to invite our worship team. I got a piece of homework. But here's an honest question before I get to the homework. Be honest today. Are you struggling to see God's goodness in the light of your current situation? This is not the time to, to smile and grin and bear it and go, God is good when you don't feel it. I love David's honesty in the Psalms where he has no problem telling God to his face, I don't like what you've done. Why have you deserted me? When are you going to show back up? Why are these things happening to me? Like his world is falling about him, but almost all of his Psalms, he ends with, Lord, I trust you. And so be honest. And be like, God, I don't get it and I don't like it. This isn't a you must like it service. This is, God, I trust that you are good enough. So how are you going to touch grace, experience grace, and give grace? So here's your homework this week. And um, I don't collect homework next week, so you do what you want. Um, really, it depends on how much you want to pursue the Lord. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, that's up to you. That's up to you. So here, here's the, my one, my two things that I, I want you to do. I think it'll, it'll, it'll change you. One is I think you should read the entire account of Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37. If you've never read it, um, there's an interesting 38. Has a little sidelight of Tamar. Um, it, it just. You know, it's in there, so just keep reading it. Uh, And you can go up until 50, or you can end in 45 when he has the conversations and his dad comes. That's up to you. But, like, looking at his life, and and, and what I'm going to ask you as you read it is put yourself in the story. Like, when have you felt like this? And this is, I mean, really, the archetype, this is probably the best picture pre-Jesus of Jesus, the sacrificial Joseph. A lot of, you know, people would say this this is an imagery. I mean, because there's really no, other than his pride at the beginning of telling the story to his brother, we see no flaw in Joseph. I mean, he's not like David who committed adultery. We don't see that, not to say that he was perfect because he wasn't. But read through that story and put yourself in there and go, God, where do I need to? And here, here's your second one. When you wake up this morning, in the mornings, for the next week, and you write this somewhere, you can put a reminder of the beauty of your phone as you can have it alert you at whatever time you want it to, and it'll tell you what you should remember. I do it all the time because I forget. No lie. I will forget. And, and you can put it in your phone. You can write it somewhere. <clears throat> and, and you may have to say this prophetically because you may not mean it. To begin with, but I think it'll change you the more you say it. And this may be something you can wake up every morning and say. But just tell God that you trust him. Just wake up and say, God, I trust you. And, and you can be honest. Be like, 
it may start with, hey, God, I want to trust you. The movement is I, I want to trust you and decide to be faithful where God has you. Because every piece of that story, Joseph, whether he was, prison or Potiphar's house, he was faithful. And he, he didn't whine and complain. He didn't, you know, kick the dirt. He just got to a new place and he just, he just did his job. And he was faithful to God. And, and that's all we're, we're calling you to do. We're not calling you to be perfect. We're just calling you and encouraging you to trust God. Because the more you lean in and trust God, the more you try to live that Jesus is greater than any obstacle that you're coming up, the more it will radically transform who you are. And it's a process. This is what we're talking about over this weeks and probably over this whole year. You're going to hear this stuff over and over and over and over again because we need to be reminded that this isn't an event. Christianity is not an event like, yes to Jesus, that's my event and I'm done. Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus, is a journey. And on that journey, there's lots of ups and downs. There's lots of switchbacks. There's lots of (laughs) cloud cover. You just keep going. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. And I believe that the more we're willing to just trust God in the middle, the more he'll faithfully bring us to the end of it. Dearly Father... Lord, you know where every single person in this room is. You know where they're conflicted. You know where they're um, lacking trust. You know the hurt and pain that has to be overcome. And Lord, the beauty of it is, is that you've experienced more pain than we'll ever know. You experienced the cross for us. You experienced rejection for us. You experienced loneliness for us. There is nothing that we are currently struggling with that our Lord and Savior who is seated seated beside the Father, praying, interceding for us, hasn't experienced. So when we cry out in our pain, there's understanding. There's connection. And so, Lord, I pray that as we faithfully begin this week to say, Lord, I trust you. Maybe even right now as we cry out during this last song of God, uh, the pain that we're feeling, the heartbreak that we're feeling, the anger maybe even towards you of why we're here in this spot. At the end of that, we can just go, God, here it is. Lord, help me trust you. Lord, you are the one that leads us to life and life abundantly. So do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.